The Start On Demand. On demand. Our pothole hunt was a success. We saw roads in deplorable shape. We've got video up on our 680CJOB Facebook and Instagram, and we put together a little audio montage of what we saw, and you will hear that here. The Premier says he'll give his opponents 90 days notice for an election call, if possible. For Breakfast with the Bombers, we spoke to one of the team's most active members in the community while he was heading to the airport to go do stuff for the community. And nerves continue to fray as we inch closer to puck drop for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Are you superstitious during the postseason? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, April 9th podcast for The Start. Gary McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Forte, and barbecues from the back of a truck, coolers of drinks in the parking lot. They are staples at almost any American football game. And now it appears Ontario is looking at a law that would allow sports fans in that province to pregame party just like fans to the south. And the details of the BYOB component are going to come out on uh, thir- during Thursday's provincial budget in Ontario. So I don't know. I think this is kind of exciting. Yeah, I think it's also a way just to get people there to vote to enjoy like that party. <laughs> but hey, whatever. Uh, they're trying to encourage more partying. And actually, I'd be asking this morning, is it is it technic- technically illegal here? Like, I know we don't do it. Yeah, we do. Well, we, we have a tailgate area, but are you allowed yeah. to bring your own barbecue to the parking lot and yep. well, I don't a know cooler what I'm, yeah. of beer and all those kinds of things? cooking up food every time I walk by there on the way to the Blommer game. And they have those red Solo cups, and I don't think that it is tutti-frutti in there. Yeah, the, the, different, the <laughs> difference between what's legal and what's happening, yeah. I, I think, are two different things right now. And for the most part, I think the attitude has been as long as you behave yourself, yeah. we're going to um, <clears throat> just uh, concentrate on something else, yeah. shall we say? See, I, and I think if we knew if it was in, if it was allowed, you might see more of it. Like I, I, having been to some games in the states, it's super cool, and it's part of the whole process of getting people involved, and I like it. But I, I never felt like that was a really Canadian thing to do. Yeah, some of the setups you see in the United oh. States, these people bring their trucks and Smokers SUVs and just and full-on campgrounds. Yeah, like it's not like, you know, like the barbecues I often see are the little propane ones, you yeah. know, with the side propane. But in the States, it's like they back off their truck. Where have you gone? Where have you gone for uh, tailgates? Detroit. Detroit. For the Lions? For the Lions, yeah. Was that at Silverdome? It was a Lions-Vikings game in Detroit. In Detroit at their old stadium? I have no idea. Like out Three in the suburbs? Three years ago. No, oh, no. Huge so downtown. new stadium so downtown. Ford, Ford Field. Yeah. We went to uh, Kansas City about six, seven, eight years ago, and that is absolutely unbelievable, as it was in Dallas. You pay 60 bucks to park, and that's because you get to do the tailgate thing, and it's a separate ticket, basically, and people resell the tickets for the parking so you can go and tailgate. It is, it's an extra special experience for sure. Do you have to be going to the game to tailgate? Or can Lots you just, of people don't. Yeah, just they don't. just go for the social aspect of it. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I went to Seattle, uh, I want to say early 2000s. The only NFL game I've ever seen in person was in Seattle. It was uh, the Seahawks against Doug Flutie and the San Diego Chargers. It was just a random game. 
game. We we wanted to go see an NFL game, and we went to that one. But we so we brought some beer and some coolers with us. We were expecting to be able to tailgate. We didn't clearly do our research because we got there and we're looking around like, where is the tailgating? <laughs> In this, it's an NFL game. There's got to be tailgating, but the game was being played at the University of Washington because they were in the middle of transitioning from, I guess, the kingdom. Kingdom to CenturyLink, yeah. So we couldn't find the tailgate area, so we thought, well, I guess we just crack our beers here. <laughs> and within, so we sat down at a bench and cracked our beer, and within five seconds, security swarmed us <laughs> because there was it was like a dry yeah. event. There was no alcohol. Even inside the stadium. Yeah. I was at two games when they were at U of Dub for the Seahawks, so that was a problem. I We tried to tailgate at Los Angeles uh, Dodger Stadium. My brother and I had been to about six places like we got to get wise to this tailgate thing broke out the barbecue or chairs or whatever we were just getting set up and they came and said dodger stadium is uh no tailgate you gotta be kidding me they got a parking lot for like twenty thousand cars and you and you can't uh tailgate there absolutely just disastrous well have they not already had kind of outside gatherings for Hamilton Tiger Cat and Toronto Argonaut games anyway. Yeah. I thought for some reason the Argos have been doing that since 16. They do have that. They don't have it at the baseball games. They don't have it at hockey games. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. a, that's a bigger part of the question. Like, Why is it just a football culture that we do that? Is that the position of the rinks? Is it yeah. because well, there's no as parking much as lots anything. Yeah, or anything like week, that? the weather... Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, the majority true. You can't of the football tailgate season. like four times a week for hockey. That would give me <laughs> yeah. exhausted. I'd much rather eat inside during yeah. the hockey games than out on a parking lot. Tailgating in a blizzard is just not a whole lot of fun. <laughs> you got like November, October, March, April, you could tailgate in hockey. Well, and it also surrounds the fact that the NFL is just such a, for so long, it's sort of synonymous with Sundays for many people, yeah. right? Like Sunday isn't even Sunday. It's just football day. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes into that, well, this is a big day. got to get my... Uh, well, my... When, when they're setting up these big monstrosities, though, Brett, yeah. like, are they going in on Saturday <laughs> to, to start to set up? Or do they sure get they there in the middle of the night on Absolutely. Sunday? Absolutely. You line yeah. up. You line up super late Saturday night, very early Sunday morning in Kansas City. I'm just remembering a time we were in Minnesota, three of us sitting in a car, and we're having a beer having a beer are we allowed to do this all of a sudden we get this knock on the window and we're like oh no man we're, we're busted. busted we roll down the window hey guys you're not having enough fun here's a minnesota vikings hat here's a sticker blah 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 blah. Yeah. and it was a group for homeless people in minnesota and they were raising money and that's how they did it oh, good. so we donated about 60 bucks for the hat and the stickers and everything and we went to the beer store and got more beer because we realized we were totally cool to be drinking in the parking lot Breakfast with the Bombers brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Talking today to number 32, fullback John Rush. We talked to him at 5.15 this morning because he was on his way to the airport. I'm heading to Winnipeg right now, uh, and then tomorrow I'm taking the flight at 3 a.m. to Florida with a Dreamstake flight, and we're taking 120 kids down to Disney World, so I'm pretty excited about that. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. It says right on the bluebombers.com that you're one of the uh, the team's most active players in terms of donating your time to charity and community events. So what what drives you for that? Um, I mean, really, like, we've been given this platform as athletes and because of the community in Winnipeg. So it's kind of the least I can do is to give back to that community to that allows me to continue pursuing this dream of mine, right? So it's really – it's really just a, kind of a, a thank you, if anything, to give back to this community. 
you know, sometimes that comes naturally in athletes or sometimes it was ingrained in them through their parents or coaches. Was there someone along the way that said to you, if you get this gift and you get this chance, you need to give back? Where does that come from? Um, I don't I don't think that any one person kind of told me that I need like I needed to when I got to this uh, level. But definitely just kind of throughout my life, just like the, the things that my parents taught me. And uh, even in university, we gave back all the time at at food kitchens and uh, dog shelters and stuff like that. So it's just kind of like a culmination of athletics and my parents' parenting. Dogs are a big part of your life too, right, John? Oh, yeah. Love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your dog. You guys are kind of famous on Twitter. Yeah, no. Uh, so I just adopted uh, Bone um, or Bunum four months ago now, and you know, he's a, he's a riot. He's, um, he's a one-year-old great Pyrenees dog. I just weighed him the other day. He's 130 pounds and he's still growing, which is, uh, which is kind of crazy, <laughs> but, um, he's, he's so much fun. Like he loves everybody. He loves like just hanging out with, uh, with all the guys and to like come like for runs and all that. And he's just such a great dog. I can't believe someone that someone would give him up for being too big. It blows my mind. John, it's almost like you've become a, a Winnipegger and just really entrenched yourself in the community, and, and you've given us a couple of reasons for that. Tell us about your trip up to Norway House. Had you ever been to northern Manitoba or up to a First Nation in Ontario before? No, so that was the first time I've done anything like that, getting out into a northern community, which was uh, which was pretty amazing, actually. It was one of my goals. I saw it the, the first year I was with Winnipeg, uh, I saw the, the team post about the trip, and I'm like, wow, I really want to do this. And I was almost about to go last year, but uh, things changed last minute, so I didn't get the chance. So this year I really wanted to make sure I uh, got out, and I'm, I'm really grateful for it. We went out with the RCMP, and they, they showed us around Norway House and kind of just, like, how they live out there and, and just, like, the different different way of life and, and really, like, the true rich history of Canada as well, like, you know, with the fur trade and and all that it was uh it was a really amazing experience now the bombers have been heavily involved in the uh, the break the silence on violence against women as well as uh, bombers tackle bullying over the last few years have what do the the young people say to you when you come to speak to them do they ever say you know what i uh you you've given me something to think about yeah no for sure it, especially when we do the break the silence talks and we talk to uh these young boys about you know, you know, not not inciting violence against women and like ways to do it and just just things like their wording and stuff like that, how that affects how that affects women. Sometimes they don't even realize these little things and hearing it from us, they're just like, wow, like I never even thought about making that joke or saying that one thing could affect the women around me. So it really you really see it change their perspective, especially in these young men. I think that's fascinating, too, because I think when they hear it from someone like yourself and a, and a big guy comes in with an important role on a team that can make a difference in just one person's life. Is this is this the topic that you wish to tackle or do you just have so many charities? It sounds like you're kind of all over the place with the things that you like to do. Do you have one thing that you'd like to focus or narrow down on as you head into the next season? Um, I really I, I'm trying to focus a lot of my efforts on dogs and dog shelters this season coming up, but. Right now, I am kind of all over the place, but um, but this upcoming season, I really want to focus on uh, dogs and dog shelters and just kind of the whole adopt and shop movement. Next off season, I want to do a, a cross Canada tour where 
I start in the East Coast, drive all the way to the West Coast, and stop off at uh, shelters in every province and kind of make videos at each shelter and kind of just bring awareness to shelters and kind of bring them, bring them all the supplies that they most desperately need. I mean that as a compliment, by the way, to be all over the place. I don't want you to think at yeah. all that that was a criticism. <laughs> no, no. I just think yeah. it's fantastic that you got your fingers yeah. in all these pies, so to speak. Well, John, that sort yeah. of translates onto the field as well. You're, you're multi-purpose. You have to learn how to do a variety of things on the field in your role, don't you? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, like I played linebacker my entire college career, and, and now I'm playing fullback, right? So, and and I obviously play uh, all the special teams and everything like that. So, you just it's the more you can do the the that's what they always tell you. The more you can do, the better chances are you're, you're going to be successful. Now, John, I'm just looking at your profile at BlueBombers.com, and you've got these long, flowing locks. <laughs> but in the video <laughs> for your trip to Norway House, it looks like those are gone. Did you cut them off? Yeah. Yeah, I did. So in September, I uh, cut my hair for breast cancer. We uh, we did it at the Fan Appreciation Day and uh, at the stadium, and I raised about I think over five thousand dollars for breast cancer uh, and breast cancer awareness and stuff like that. And uh, so my mom had breast cancer when I was nine years old. So um, I started growing out my hair, and I had been growing it for about five and a half years when I finally cut them off. Well, wow, that's amazing. So you're on your way to Winnipeg now to hop onto a Dreams Take flight. Flight. When's what's the date on the yep. cat? What's the date on the calendar circled for when you let come back to Winnipeg for to get the season started? I think we're back May fifteenth for training camp. So pretty excited to get back out and start playing some football again. So uh, I mean, as much as I love the off season and letting my body recover from season and everything like that, just uh, working out doesn't have the same effect as uh, playing football. That's for sure. John, we love doing this feature, but I got to tell you, of all the ones we've done in the off season, this has been one of my favorites because you are clearly uh, becoming a, a huge member of this community, and we love to highlight for the fans what their Blue Bombers are doing off the field as well. Thanks for sharing so much time with the community at large and spending some of your busy schedule with us this morning. It means a lot to us. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate you having me on. John Rush, fullback with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us live on CJOB for Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. So the Canadian government, uh, as we speak, is considering regulating social media giants in hopes of preventing platforms from being used to weaponize hate and spread lies. A report out in Ottawa this week shows cyber threats are on the rise with attempts at foreign interference in the next federal election, a growing concern. And we've seen this in other countries in recent years. Uh, The United States comes to mind, uh, to, to name a few, but where adversaries use social media to spread misinformation and then try to sway voters. And so Ottawa's basically saying this could happen here too come this fall. For more on what's being done to stop the spread of misinformation and hate and how you can play a role, we go to University of Waterloo new media professor, Amy Morrison. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. So how is this happening? How are elections being influenced? Elections are being influenced by often outside actors disguising themselves, in this case, as Canadians. So Facebook, as you know, is an open social network and anyone can join and make a profile with very little verification. And um, what happens is 
foreign agents, say from, uh, in the case of the U.S., Russia or perhaps China, create accounts pretending to be Canadians and they disseminate um, news stories or opinion pieces which are designed to shift the conversation in Canada to more polarized extremes so that people who lean towards the left would move more towards the left, people who move towards the right would move more towards the right, and thinking that they're speaking with other Canadians about Canadian news when actually this is material and personas that are placed here by outside agents. Has this only been taking place in the digital age or has this been happening for a long time, Amy? Propaganda has been around for a long time. The attempt of outside agents to influence domestic affairs in another country. So, I mean, currently Western democracies are still dropping leaflets over North Korea, right, as a, as a means of getting information different from the sort of government line into that place. Uh, propaganda was uh, used in the First and Second World Wars to change the hearts and minds of a domestic population. Um, what's different in the social media age is that it's not a matter of leaflets dropping out of the sky, right? It's, it's a little bit less obvious than that. So that the material that we're engaging with looks like it's being produced by real people who might live down the street from us um, about materials that concern us. And it's very difficult to tell what's actually local or Canadian and what has been placed here propaganda style by others. Is there anything that can be done about this propaganda? Well... I think uh, Facebook has started to um, think about how it accepts electoral advertising. Um, We can also begin to think as uh, consumers of news where we're getting our news from. It's very difficult to tell um, sort of fake or propaganda news from other news, but usually if it appeals very much to your prejudices, your own personal interests, and you can't see it, Um, reported in more mainstream news outlets, it's probable that some type of manipulation is is being intended. So how does that work when you've got the President of the United States calling mainstream media fake news, and clearly there are people in Canada, the United States, around the world that are buying into that idea of mainstream media being being on the fake side, um, if not all the time, some of the time. How do you encourage people to use mainstream media as that check and balance? Yeah, I would say people need to look a little bit to history here because um, sort of denouncing mainstream news as as full of fake news or untrustworthy is the move of fascists and authoritarians, right? So that um, a free press that is in robust conflict often with the government of the day is usually the marker um, of a free society uh, where governments can be sort of voted out. Um, And when leaders um, begin to describe um, mainstream news as as fake or reporters as partisans or as as Trump has done, as enemies of the people. It's really discouraging um, people's faith in the institutions that uphold our democracy, in this case, um, news. I mean, social media is great for spreading a lot of information that before did not seem to be newsworthy, right? I think a lot of our coverage of Indigenous rights issues in Canada have been prompted by materials that those groups have themselves been presenting online and and raising that up to the level of public notice. But also, there's a lot of political polarization and misinformation happening that appeals to people's fears or, in fact, creates those fears. And there's nothing that motivates people more than being afraid. I think you make a great point because I think of all the communities we can't always get to or the northern or more remote places and people can post pictures and talk about the issues in their community and we wouldn't, we don't need to travel there. We can hear from them what they're experiencing and that has been super helpful in the spread of 
necessary information. But when it comes to stopping the un- spread of unnecessary or hateful or information, is there actually how do you, how do you police that when there's millions upon millions, billions of users? I think 500 million tweets per day or something like that. It, it seems almost impossible to put it on the platform to regulate that or hire the people to do that. Well, it seems impossible when we think about, you know, what kind of content are we going to censor or not censor? Um, and to put that on a platform, of course, they're technology companies, right? They're not, they're not companies full of political scientists or philosophers or even English professors of new media, right? But what these platforms do have responsibility for is the way that their algorithms put content in front of us, right? So social media platforms, their revenue model is engagement. So social media companies are at base advertising companies. That's where all of their money comes from is advertising. And what they do is they deliver eyeballs to advertisers. And the longer that each set of eyeballs stays on a given social media site, the more things that you click, right, the more things that you share, the more value you generate for that company. And so there are algorithms in place, right, machine processes that put content in front of us based on what's most likely to keep us on a website. And it turns out that really polarizing extreme material is what people like to look at, right? And so, you know, YouTube is kind of famous for its recommendation engine. You know, the next video, you're always like three clicks away from a flat earth conspiracy or some sort of (laughs) Nazi light content because people who watch those videos then watch the next video and the next video and the next video and they stay on the site for like five or six hours, which is great for YouTube, but bad for science, right? (laughs) So the algorithms are just right now neutral. They're just going to lead us towards whatever we're more likely to watch, regardless of whether it harms democracy or our knowledge or turns our stomachs, right? So I think the social media companies do have some responsibility for thinking about the ways in which their own supposedly neutral algorithms are pushing our conversations more to extremes and further away from like truth or science or rational discourse. Amy Morrison, University of Waterloo, new media professor, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Amy, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. What are they calling it? The spec election? Who's we? I don't know. I've heard the premier definitely use spec election a few times. I don't know if he coined that or somebody somewhere along the way asking the question used it. But yes, we have had a ton of speculation over whether or not there's going to be a snap election called. Manitoba's premier saying yesterday he won't call an election until after the flood threat has passed. That was the message from a meeting with opposition leaders yesterday. But beyond that sort of timeline, we don't know what is in the future just yet. Steve Lambert is with the Canadian Press and spoke with the Premier and the leaders yesterday and joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Okay, so where are we at? There was sort of a 90-day window thrown out. Was that his suggestion or someone else's? And is he buying into it, giving them a 90-day heads up? Yeah, it it was interesting. The Premier said yesterday that uh, he he doesn't want to be seen to be taking advantage of things, so he still may call an early election. He's, He's been dropping hints for months that... He'll go earlier than the scheduled date of October 6th of 2020. Uh, Just how early remains to be seen. Yesterday, he uh, said that he told both opposition leaders in separate meetings that he would give them uh, a 90-day heads-up of an election, if possible. He didn't say what might make that impossible, but 90-day heads-up means that um, under under Manitoba's law, election campaigns can only be a maximum of 35 days long. So it would essentially give them almost two months' notice 
for the start of an election campaign and, and 90 days until uh, E-Day. So um, if he does that, uh, A, it means that the public won't be caught off guard either, uh, but it still leaves it open as to whether he's going to go, you know, any time between, say, the end of this spring until um, sometime in 2020. Okay, so I'm staring at a calendar here, Steve, and I've been following you on Twitter. I've been pretty much read every single thing you've written and talked about with regard to this situation. Now, can we acknowledge that we don't want to go to the polls in November or December? Uh, December, dead of, you know, the storms can move in December. That, that might be bad. There's also a federal election at the very end of October. Um, so there, there's a federal campaign that would start, say, uh, late September, go into uh, late October. Uh, usually provinces try not to overlap with that, but there's no law against it. Okay. There's no law against it, Steve, because I thought in the last election, the whole reason why we pushed the provincial election to the spring of 2016 was so that we didn't have that conflict with the then 2015 federal election. Was that just, they thought that was good politics? There's no reason that that was done? Yeah. Well, the, the law says that our fixed election date has to be pushed back. <laughs> if it coincides with the federal election date, but it doesn't say that you can't call an early election and coincide. All right. Okay. So I'm trying to play process of elimination with you here. So uh, yeah. uh, July and August, are they off the table? I don't think anything's off the table. I mean, uh, logically, if the feds are going to go in October and the campaign there would start in September, logically one attractive date for uh, the premier might be September 10th. Um, that way you would start the campaign in mid-August. It's the dead of summer. Might uh, dampen voter turnout, but a low voter turnout is usually good for an incumbent party because people don't pay much attention and sort of go with the flow. Okay. All right. I'm trying to just trying to take the pulse uh, based on how you see it here. And yeah. based on the 150 uh, anniversary and Manitoba's 150th birthday in 2020, uh, we all know how pumped up everybody is for that. So we're taking 2020 off the table altogether, just based on what the premier has said, let alone our excitement for Manitoba's 150th. Yeah. And I mean, the real tell for me will be, um, before an election campaign is called, watch for the Tory party ads to ramp up. Right now, they're not running any ads. The government has run a few traditional budget ads that it does every year, but the party itself is not running a lot of ads right now. They have a lot of money. Uh, at last count, they were sitting on over a million dollars, so they can unleash a shock and awe ad campaign if they want to. And um, if they, I'd watch for that to ramp up. Uh, before an election is called. So, and the reason I say that is because parties don't have limits on how much they can spend mm. on advertising until the election is called. Then once the campaign begins, there are limits that kick in that sort of dampen your uh, advantage over your opponents. So yeah, watch for, watch for the Tory ads to ramp up, and that might be a sign that an election campaign could be a few weeks away. This is a government that campaigned in its first election on uh, fiscal responsibility. It talks often about dollars and cents and, and finding efficiencies. Elections, I think the last election was about $15 million. So if you go early on an election call, that sets up the stage to maybe go early the next time. I mean, elections cost Manitobans. Has he been pushed on that about whether Manitobans want to be paying for things too early? Yeah, I mean, it would certainly move up the cost uh, a year early. 
Um, if there are any by-elections, remember Andrew Swan was looking at making the jump to, to federal. If, if there's a by-election, a by-election can cost about a quarter million. So if there, there's no by-election imminent, but if there is one that has to be held, if you hold the general election early, then you eliminate the need for a by-election, and then the argument becomes a savings. Another thing to look for, too, is whether the opposition delays the budget bill that cuts the PST. That PST cut is supposed to take July, uh, take effect July 1st. Uh, the opposition may delay the bill till the fall. The premier said that even if the bill is delayed, the tax cut will still go ahead July 1st. But that delay might set up an election. It might give Pallister a chance to go to the polls and say, look, I need a fresh mandate. I've, I've tried to live up to my promises. If the opposition stalls, are they giving Pallister an election issue? Steve Lambert with the Canadian Press joining us live on 680 CJOB. Steve, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Tomorrow's the night, Greg Mackling. The Winnipeg Jets open the North American Ice Hockey League Championships. And I already said I wasn't going to game one. I'm already on the fence. <laughs> what do you mean? You're going to take those tickets back? Or? Well, I've... I've I've got them. I've got them online to mm-hmm. sell right now. I've got lines out to a couple of buddies who are thinking about it. But now I'm thinking I want to go. Go to the game. Even though, even though it's a Wednesday night. Go to the game. I'm gonna be exhausted Thursday morning. I don't think I care. I think I want to be there. Yeah, I think Wednesday you do. And night. the first one is always so great too. Yeah. Like that moment getting back in the building. Yeah, you gotta go. I think I might have to do that. Uh, there are 226 tickets available for tomorrow night's game on Ticketmaster, and then Seed Exchange. There are tickets in pretty much every single section in the arena available, but that's not uncommon on the Ticketmaster's official reseller uh, site, uh, including my. Own. So uh, there are lots of uh, opportunities for people to get tickets who want to get tickets, but they are not inexpensive. Let me tell you that. No, nope, but if, if you got it and you think it's worth it, you can give it a go or you can spend the money on those street parties. We learned late yesterday that the $5 ticket for fans um, last year, the first two parties had 6000 on the first party, 9000 on the second. And Trunor said yesterday they were closing in on hitting those numbers, but likely surpassing that based on the pace they're at right now. And and uh, Global News talked to a guy yesterday who went to the parties last year and decided, you know what, the parties were so good. I think maybe I better be inside the building this time around. What'd you, what'd you come here to do today? Get my Jets tickets for the playoffs, buddy. Which for game sure. did you get? First one on Wednesday. Have you been to a playoff game before? Nope, it's going to be my first one. So super excited. Took uh, half the day off work to, to come grab them, so... Yeah, really excited. I was at the Whiteout last year on the street party. It was just like a great, a great like feeling. So I decided this year, no matter what, I'm going to be inside the building. So super excited, super excited. Go super. Jets! Super excited. I love it. I love it too. And you know, it's amazing because eight years into this, the NHL being back in Winnipeg. There are still tons of people who have never, ever been to one game, let alone, you know, have the options to go to multiple games in a year. So if you have the opportunity to go, I I would encourage you to go. If you can justify the the money or if you've got a friend who's willing to take you, do not turn it down. It'll be unlike anything you've ever experienced, uh, whether it be sports, culturally, uh, the pride. I I just watch the videos and I get choked up, uh, reminding me of, of what it's like to be in that building and they don't have to be from last year they don't have to be from 2015 although my favorite video is of the in arena video 
while they were at commercial, I think it was game four, and the Jets were down, and the game was sort of out of reach. Anaheim was going to sweep Winnipeg, but the the fans wanted a goal, Mm -hmm. and they stood and cheered for the entire TV timeout, and about 15, 18 seconds after the puck was dropped, Brian Little scored a goal, and it was Brian Little put the puck in the net, but that was the Winnipeg Jets fans literally scoring, willing the Jets to score a goal, and there are not a lot of buildings where you see that happen, where the fans can, at times, will the play, and change the pace of play and what's happening on the ice. So this is my message then. If you're going to that game or that street out, street out, white out party tomorrow, like it, the, the influence is there. I, I don't want to say that it, they score because of the fans, but that influence of fans is so strong that I know I, I was at that first playoff um against Anaheim 2014, was it? 2015. 2015. And we were just, I think we felt we were happy to be at the party. And so there was that, that was just, there was tears in the eyes of people, but it was more of like a nostalgia. Oh my gosh, we're back. Here's the whiteout. Last year, we went in super excited and strong and we're like, we don't even, this first round is nothing. We're on to the second. We know that. And this year we have that trepidation. So I really hope fans go into that building tomorrow because you've been to those games where you can feel the nerves Mm -hmm. and it's kind of quiet and no one's doing their thing. You didn't feel that in game one last year, I I, I didn't go to the game one last year. My husband went, yeah. Game one, there was that trepidation because the Jets had not won a playoff game yet. yet. Yeah. And and you're playing against a team that you should beat. So I I, I felt that last year and that first win in against Minnesota was a huge monkey off the back of the organization and the fans and that kind of just led a floodgate of emotions a release for a lot of folks. I think you're right. That's fair. I just hope tomorrow we don't, I hear a lot of people, they're nervous in a different way this That's year good. and I want, I want the cheering. If you're saying cheering got Brian Little to score a goal, then get in there, cheer and then take the credit for it. You can get the uh, third star. The difference in the experience, I wonder for the players the visiting players in particular from regular season to the playoffs, because my, just my casual observation as the Jets, you know, since they've been back, I think at first the Jets, the fans were, you know, celebrated for all of their creative chants and how loud they are. But at times it appeared to play in favor of the visiting team uh, because they would, they would sort of lap it up and use it as motivation to fight back and sort of silence the fans. But is there a difference between the regular season or sorry, let me rephrase that. Cause of course there's a difference. What is the difference between the regular season experience and the playoff experience? Well, you put the white out aside there, there is just, it's just simply louder because every shift matters in the playoffs. If it matters in a regular season game, and you can tell when there's changes of momentum in a regular season game, and it's one of 82, so you're, you're, you're you know, nah, man, that one got away. And fans will get frustrated, but in a playoff game, you've got to win four games and you break it down by period. You break it down by shift. And you also and, clench your hands. Like if you're up by a goal, it's a different feeling because you know, like you only have two periods left. So you're yep. like, okay, well, we, we're up by one. Okay, this is good. This is good. And if you're down by one, you're like, oh my gosh, like it's a big difference because those two periods left or that one period left or five minutes left might be all in the season that's left. 100%. And that's why that makes a difference. Yeah, every single game is so important. And so then when you boil it down into the pieces that make 
up the game. In football, we talk about five or six plays being the difference between a win and a loss. And in hockey, it's typically the mistakes that you make that other teams capitalize on that cost you goals, that end up costing you games. It's very, very seldom, as good as the players are, that it's a wicked play by the other team. It's typically started either by a bad penalty, a bad pass, or a bad play of your own that creates opportunities. Because otherwise, there are no odd man Russians other otherwise there are no power plays and and that's why every single shift is such a big deal and that's why the intensity is amped up that's why you got to go tomorrow yeah you got to go like you didn't just sell yourself I'll take that ticket (laughs) Brett and I are going we'll be tired on Thursday you guys go Come on, man. You got to go. I got to go. Is it more imposing for the visiting team to come into Winnipeg? I don't know. I suppose it is, but you mentioned it. Like, Or does th- it amp them up as well? Of to course come it does. Winnipeg? There's no way that it doesn't uh, create a situation where the other team is excited. I never boo P.K. Subban because I know, first of all, I don't like to do that. And secondly, I know he hears it. And I know he's the kind of guy that's going to go... Uh, yes, uh, thank you very much for that extra kick in the backside because I'm going to try and play a little bit better. Sometimes it forces him to make mistakes because he, he gets a little bit ahead of himself. But yes, there's no question the other team get gets amped up as well. It's a tremendous atmosphere for both teams, but you have to believe that somewhere in the back of their heads that the Jets know that that noise is for them and it's going to make them play a tiny bit better. But... I'll remind you that the Jets uh, won Game 7 in Nashville last year. They also they lost two of the three home games they had against Vegas in Round 3 last year. So uh, home ice advantage wasn't necessarily a decided advantage for the Jets at all in Rounds 2 and 3 last year. We will continue to push Greg to go to this hockey game because we know that come Thursday morning, Greg's going to walk in and say, I should have gone to that game if he doesn't go. And if he goes to the game and the Jets, if the Jets win, you know you're going to be flying so high that it won't matter how little sleep you got. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Would you guys want to deal with me if I decide to go to the game no, and they no, lose? No, no, well, no, no I just, can speak with nah, that. I nah, can speak of it. That's my, I'm, we each get to make a rule this playoff series. That's mine. This, right. Let's, let's each make a rule. You're superstitious. Yeah. I'm okay. not allowed to speak of losses, yeah, or the possibility Shh. of losses. You just—I just made a rule, man. I'm just ask, ask, I'm just asking, just qualifying. Yeah, just I just the, the right. rule is no. Okay. Okay, you can make your own rule. Okay. McNabb mentioned on the superstition: Do you stand? And was it ye- which one of you no. told someone to stay out of the room? My my husband. <laughs> we didn't tell me to stay out of the room, but we debated it because in the comeback last year against Nashville, I can't. We was game two, game three. Ooh, I don't remember. It was game three. We were losing three nothing, I think, and we came back and won that one. Seven four, I think. And, and these three goals are came in a really quick succession while I was not in the house actually, but I heard him yell as I come in, and I knew the score had changed, and then I was like. Should I go? <laughs> you hold on. You no, volunteer. I, I, I very much feel these things myself, and it's not that I necessarily believe them, but I'll. You know, it's part of the fun. And I, I, I knew he wasn't going to say yes. Get out of the house. But that uh, we both paused for like a good twenty seconds and really? looked at each other, and we're like, maybe, maybe you should. Can you take a walk? Or? What was the outcome of that game? We won. Yeah, seven four for the Jets. Okay. And you're right, the Jets were down three nothing and they came storming back with three goals in quick succession and, and got things back on track. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Jets won. 
Don't you have a story, Greg, of somebody where, standing? Where, I think you were standing. Was you, it you or a buddy? Yeah, my buddy Dave Lynn came over to the house to watch Jets Canucks game very late back in the back in the nineteen nineties, and they scored two goals. The Jets did when Dave was in the fridge in the fridge <laughs> in the kitchen, and we said, Dave. You're not allowed to come out until the period's over, bud. Sorry. And did he? He complied. He complied with the request. He doesn't really care that much about hockey. He was there for the beer anyway. In the 94 Olympics, we did that to my sister, and I still can see her. Uh, we were, I think we still got a silver in that Olympics. But I remember we banished her from the, the room. I don't even know why. Were we losing or winning or was she out for all the wins? And I can see her trying to watch from the top of the stairs, like peeking through the banister, just being like, was that Marty Murray who scored that? Like, because we just said, get out of the house, you're out. So I get it. Now, before we play the montage that Greg has put together here regarding our pothole adventure, we should just explain something quickly uh, to offer some context. Loren and I learned a couple of new words yesterday, at least as those words pertain to driving. When you say to somebody, take a Randy here, Greg, and I remember when you first said it in the car, I thought, did I miss something when I ran back? Because I had we had to run back into the building to get some tape to fix the camera to the dashboard, and I got back in the car, and you said to McNabb, take a Randy here, and I thought, what the heck is he talking about? What does Randy mean? Randy's a right, Larry's a left. Is this like some sort of, is this like part of the West End driver's education? I think it might be milkman speak, I'm not sure, but you know, when you say right, that Right has multiple mm-hmm. meanings, and I so I get that it can get like, lo- yeah. lost in translation. And when you're trying to run a route or a route and uh, get things done, and you're learning something, using the word right in several different contexts is not a good thing. So uh, I'm guessing that's where I picked it up on, but I know my brother says it, and I know a couple of my buddies say it. So I don't know if we brought the language to our group, if it's something that's existed for a long time, but Someone I'm standing by Someone else said Ralph, it. but they texted oh, Ralph, in early okay. and said to take a Ralph. Okay, good. Really? Or I think it was Ralph. It was a, def- a definite R name. Either way, I didn't like it yesterday. It annoyed me. <laughs> Straight up, open your mind. Me. Trying to introduce My you to mind new is things. Open. I'm driving. There's a camera staring at me. You're recording, and then you're like, Randy, erratic, Randy, you're, Randy, you're making erratic lane changes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like it. <laughs> All right. Well, here's how it went. Pothole. Pothole. Come and me get a flat tire. Pot. Well, we're going pothole. See a lot. See a lot. See a lot. See a lot. See a lot of potholes. Pothole. Come. And me get a flat tire. Take us. Take us to the potholes. I'm gonna drive you like I drive my children, all careful and mom like. <laughs> oh, hit it hard. Hit it harder. Hit it harder, McNabb. Go the speed limit. What's the speed limit? 50. 70. You can't go 50 on this. Well, 70. The speed limit's 50. Bam. <laughs> oh, and there goes the and camera. And it's taped on there. We taped it down, and it still, <laughs> it still didn't work. Oh, now wow. I'm gonna have to retape it. Uh, yeah, this is really bad. Also, it just comes to an end like that. Yes. That is. It's not smart. Yeah, when did they do that? It's been a few years now, right? Yes. I knew something just wasn't right. When my car disappeared from sight, potholes in the road and my car's in the shop tonight. 
Oh, that looks like a car part. Curb <laughs> there. Look careful. at that. Oh. Right this on. is left. You said Randy. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, this is left. entertaining all on its own. Did you, did you just threaten violence? Sure did. Yes, she did. I don't want so much backseat driving. <laughs> Literal backseat driving. <laughs> There's a minefield on this road I'm on with these potholes here and my tires gone. Sometimes I break, sometimes I swerve, sometimes there's one on every curve. Why can't they fix the holes near my home? They're blowing out my fire stones. Who can I blame for this road assault? I know it's the government's asphalt. It needs to be replaced. Cause now the only thing oh. I'm driving is insane. Potholes on the highway. Springtime comes with some giant holes. Somebody must pay. Potholes are making my tires blow. One more time up Sherwin. This could be bump. Here, Ooh, easy. <laughs> These potholes are terrible. <laughs> and here's the thing: you've got one of the largest truck operations in North America. Right here, I know. And you've got to deal with these crappy roads. Maybe that's part of the reason why that was like a vicious cycle for them because well, you know, there, there might more be weight something on those to roads. that, but I don't think these roads were built with the intention of having 500 semi trailers. So, this uh, St. James Street, they spent what yeah. it's very nice. I think they could land an airplane on this street, it's quite, quite smooth. But after millions of dollars, I, I suppose it ought to be. I knew something just wasn't right. When my car disappeared from sight, potholes in the road and my car's in the shop tonight. When I first went out with the potholes, they brought us to Sherwin and Saskatchewan and they filled the pothole. Let's just see how it's looking now. They filled the pothole up the corner. Right, they filled these right here. Are they holding up on the corner? But then they, I can't tell, they did it some of them. So some of these have been filled, some of them haven't. The ones that filled are okay. Look, oh, oh my gosh, see how far down he went in there? Look, wow, that's crazy. And we're this going is on to Saskatchewan. That one has white. So that last road we were on was Saskatchewan. That was between King Edward and Century, and you can barely call it a road. It, it's more of a collection of craters. And there were crews working there, trying to navigate through them, and the potholes proved to be a rather tricky assignment. But we were instructed to take the CJOB News Cruiser at full bore. Remind, the potholes. It rem reminded me of that Seinfeld episode, the one with the car reservation, the rental car reservation. Yep. And when Jerry finally gets the car, he goes, you better make sure I have the insurance because I'm going to beat the hell out of that car. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> and I boy. think it's the only time Jerry ever used that word uh, on Seinfeld on the show because he doesn't he doesn't use anything that even really resembles a swear word very often. So uh, that that was about as angry as we saw Jerry in the entire run of Seinfeld was during the during the episode with the with the car rental. 
Yeah, we and we we didn't quite beat it up. No, we, we were pretty we, kind to it actually. I actually was. I thought I was pretty nice. Yeah, we were. Encur- I was definitely encouraging you to yeah. take the potholes harder, but uh, well, you the, didn't want to. We were trying. It was kind of like an experiment, right? We were scientists yesterday researching the impact of potholes. We could have sold it like that after the boss. Yeah, after the 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 only took six potholes for the wheels to fall off. <laughs> I don't know who that Next guy was. Next year we'll try it again. Five potholes, twelve potholes. Right? It could be a whole. <laughs> Experiment. I I agree. I don't know who that person was yelling on the on the uh, on the curb, yelling at you to go seventy kilometers per hour in a fifty <laughs> kilometer an hour zone. That that person just does not obey laws. Apparently, I don't know who that was. If you want to see the videos, go to six eighty CJOB's Facebook page. We put three of the videos we were able to harvest from our three hundred and sixty degree camera that was mounted to the dashboard. We also put some short highlight clips up on our six eighty CJOB Instagram page. If you would like to see some of them there, they're in our story section of that. And just before we had to break, we were talking about Larry and Randy. Those were Greg's words for left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone texting to say it's a football term. Yeah, I saw. I must have picked it up. My years of playing football, Larry and Randy. And then, of course, you've got the linebackers, Will and Sam, for the wide side and the short side, linebackers. So that's more football terminology that involve people's names. Wow, look at that. There you go. Learn something new every day. 946 on 680 CJOB. It's not useful information. I apologize. I like the fun information, though. The useless trivia stuff is fun. We'll check your forecast in a moment, and then we'll hear from Jeff Courier to find out what he has coming up on his show. Oh, and by the way, thanks to Hal Anderson for providing us with all those pothole songs. Yes. Uh, I believe I heard Jeff Courier in the newsroom say Muchos Kilos is a prolific band providing all the musical selections there. I That's don't right. even know. He's got an interesting like repertoire in his brain. Like I bet you if I went out there and yelled, like, Gravel! song and door he'd have a song about a door like he just seems to know all those quirky things it's fun hal anderson afternoons one to four hey thanks for listening to the start podcast we are available on apple podcast google podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts subscribe now and never miss an episode and if you like what you hear rate the show tell us what you think And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.